The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Since as long as I could possibly remember, I have had this desire to write a song, which is honestly ironic because I have a voice only a mother can love. Let that sink in for a moment. I am dyslexic and writing is extremely difficult. And lastly, I've never played an instrument in my life. So if I was a betting man and if you were betting people, I would bet highly against me to ever create a song. Because it's just not stacked, the cards are not stacked in my favor. But nevertheless, over the years, I have desired this. And so I've looked into what would it take? What's the headspace you have to be in to write it? And uh, through that kind of time of looking into it, one of the things that I heard someone say is all the tricks and all the tools and all the places you can go are all good. But the truth is that first song you ever create will be simply a byproduct of your heart. It's going to literally come out of you. Today, as we continue in this series entitled The Songs of Christmas, where over the the Christmas season, we're looking at these four songs that help capstone the Christmas story. We're looking at a song that I would literally say was birthed out of this man because his son was born. Now, normally when we talk about a son being born on a church stage around this time of year, we instantly always assume that we're talking about Jesus. Rightfully so. He's the reason why for thousands of years we are gathered in a space. It's the reason why we are here today and it's the reason we should celebrate. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But with all that being said, he isn't the only person born during this time. And the other person born is a, is a man named John, and we read as John the Baptizer, or as many of us know him today as John the Baptist, and we're going to be looking at his father's song and the words that he declared after his child was born. So if you can open up your Bibles, you can uh, be in Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me, as well as in those little handouts that you should have got when you came in. And this is a, one of the longest chapters in Scripture, so we are going to be starting at verse 67. Um, So we're going to dive in. It says this, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And, it, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit 
and he was in the wilderness until the days of his public appearance to Israel. Every once in a while, we'll get a movie, a script, or a book that will start with the end. And it's an artistic way to help really lead the audience to understand the magnitude of that ending because we get a picture of where it's going to go and that allows us to, as we watch the the story play out, have a deeper and a richer appreciation for what has happened. And that's what I want to do with us today because I don't know if we can fully grasp the magnitude of this beautiful and rich story until we know the process in which it became. And so, like I said, this is a very long chapter and we're gonna start at the very start of that. And so if you wanna go back in my Bible, it's a a next page to the beginning of Luke chapter one. Now, Luke chapter one, verses one through four, I'm gonna summarize and share some scripture as we kind of go through this. Um, It's just an introduction. It's simply Luke identifying himself and writing a thesis, in essence, declaring, this is what I'm gonna do here to this man named Theopolis. And he's ultimately here to share I want to give, I've collected all the eyewitnesses. I've heard all the testimonies and here is the truth that you need to know about this man named Jesus and who he is and what he was about. And so then we get into verse five and it says these words, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abia. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So the first thing that Luke does is introduce us to these two characters. Now we, um, if you've spent any time growing up and around the Christmas holidays, you've probably heard songs or seen nativity scenes and probably have an idea that um, Jesus, this, this guy that most people are celebrating around this time of year, wasn't born to someone named Elizabeth. But this author doesn't know that at this point, right? And so Luke here is declaring some things to us and is revealing some stuff about these two individuals. First, that this couple is from the line of David, which was important because that means all the prophetic things that were happening in what they would have called their scriptures, our Old Testament, was saying that this savior to come would be from the line of David, which this means it could be this person that he's introducing us to. The second thing that we are told about this is that they were both righteous and blameless before God. This is unheard of. Like in the entirety of scripture, we can count on one hand how many people have been given one of those titles. They were given both of those titles, which is extremely beautiful and extremely honorable. Like this is high praise to this couple. The second, or the next thing that we learn about this is that they are um, old in age. Now, so I don't get in trouble. I'm not putting a number to how old that is. (laughs) Because I know some people will get mad about that, but we are told that they are beyond the age of childbearing. And we've also been told that they have no child. And that's like really sad even in our culture today. If you have a desire for a child and that has not come to be, and you've been praying and crying out to God for this and hasn't come, I'm so sorry. And we are crying alongside you and love to know that and pray with you. Um, on your behalf for that story. So please share. But there's a different weight to it in this um, season or 
uh, time frame. Because there was this belief that the reason why you were childless was because either you or someone in your family line had done such a grievous sin that God was punishing you by not allowing your family to continue. So this couple has been declared righteous and blameless by the Lord, but society calls them a sinner. And as a quick aside, I just simply wanted to say this is that it's so easy for us to allow people on the outside to help dictate our lives. Like this couple doesn't know that God has declared them righteous or blameless. There's no knowledge of this. But know what they probably do here? The whispers of their community. And so as a, just a side this morning, I pray that you would learn to abide as this couple did because it says that they were blameless in the commandments, which means that they had to spend time in the word of God, spending time in worship, spending time in community consistently. And that when they abided in him that was making him, that they would be receiving his truths over the lies of the people around them. And I just hope that you receive that this morning that you need to look to the person who loves you and cares for you over what people around you will say. And so um, the story continues. I'm gonna summarize a little bit. Um, um, Zechariah, who is a priest, goes to his temple duty and he was chosen to give worship and praise to God in this place called the Holies of Holies. And this was an extremely high honor and also a very scary thing. The high honor was, Everyone longed to be able to be in the presence of God, but only one person could do it. And they were chosen to do that. It was a priest. And, and this was an amazing thing that they got to spend time in God's presence, worshiping and declaring praises to him. But the scary thing about it was that if you had not done the proper atoning, which means that you would confess your sins, repent, and do these natural, uh, these um, rituals that God had declared to make you righteous before him, that if you were to walk into this space, you would die instantly. And the, and the kind of the way to think about this is if you go into a very dark room, pitch black, and you turn on the lights, the lights destroy all of the darkness. Our goodness, our God's goodness will destroy the evil in us. And so because of that, the priests would actually have these like bells on the, one of the garments that they would wear and they would have a rope attached to them. And so that as long as the bells were moving, the people outside of that room knew that person was alive. If the bells stopped jingling, they would pull on the rope because you had passed away. So this is a crazy space. And so it says that he goes into the space and starts, and as he enters there, he says, appearing before him in verse 11, and an angel of the Lord standing, was standing on the right side of the altar. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I've been told, and I've heard the stories of people dying in that space, and I walk into that space and I see an angel of the Lord, what do you think he's going through his head? I'll tell you what I think. I'm about to die. Like, it's over for me. Like, like no one's talked about having this encounter in this space before outside of the people that we don't get to talk to anymore. And, and so he's in that space, very troubled. And in verse 13, we are told this, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son 
and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So the scene is that he walks in this room, sees this thing, and is trembling, and the angel says to him these powerful words, your prayers have been heard. And I wanna just pause on that for a moment because this is kind of one of those Hollywood, like they lived happily ever after moments. Like, you know, we get this big buildup of like, oh, the engagement story. And then it's like, oh yeah, they got married. It's happily ever after. If you've been married at any time or you've been in any relationship, you know that happily ever after is work. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes consistency to do so. And so let's just think about this for a moment. We've been told that this couple is well, old, well into their life beyond the age of bearing, and yet they are still doing what? They're still praying that God would provide for them a child. And that's something that we don't do anymore. Consistent prayer is something we have lost. I mean, think about this. Many of us, if we don't get our, answer, our prayers answered within a few moments, let alone a few days, months, or even a few years, eventually give up because we assume that God is not listening or that it just isn't gonna happen. And so we just stop doing it. And so I also just wanna simply try to help give some clarity to that. I love what um, this pastor and author in England, his name is Pete Gregg, kind of helps talk about the unanswered prayers. And, And he says that unanswered prayers can be probably put into one of these three categories. God often doesn't tell us which one of them they are, but here's the whys. First is God's world. Um, God created a a world and had limitations put into it. And so um, sometimes the hardships of life are simply a byproduct of the world that God created. For example, if I am lifting a table and I drop it, guess what's taking over? gravity. And there's a high probability the table is breaking, which means I have to go buy something new, a hardship, or it breaks my foot because it landed on my foot and now I'm in a cast, right? So the byproduct of God's world. Um, God's war is the second one. Scripture talks about how um, there is a war between good and evil and that just like any other war, there's going to be fallout and the people in that are going to experience some of that hardship. And so we will experience some of the pains of of that war. And then ultimately, lastly, God's will. And I think a lot of times when we think of God's, people hear that, like God's withholding from us or he's being angry or mean towards us. And that's not the understanding of God's will. When it comes to the troubles of God's will, it's because we are trying to be God. And we're declaring, God, this is the way it needs to be. And God goes, no, 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 I am Lord. It's supposed to be like this. So God's world, God's war, and God's will. And so he, uh, we are told, going back into this story, that his prayers have been answered. And this is just one of those important things for us to understand that God is listening to our cries. It actually tells us in Revelation chapter five that in the throne room of heaven, there are these massive golden bowls that all the prayers of God's people are being placed into. And they're a sweet aroma of worship to him. And so my encouragement for you is to consistently prayer and to learn from this amazing couple that even though it seems like God is silent, he is not absent. He's listening and hearing your cries. And so the story continues that Zachariah hears all this and is like, "Um, well, I 
kind of had to break it to you. I'm old. Um, how is this going to happen? Like, I mean, anyone else think that? Like, if I was old and beyond the age of, of childbearing, I would be confused too. And that we were told then that the angel said in verse 19, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things will take place because you did not believe in my word, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and when they were wondering at his delay in the temple, And when he came out and was unable to speak to them, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And so this angel says to him, hey, because you didn't believe, you're gonna reap the consequences of that action. And we um, probably have heard this statement before that if you grew up in in a faith experience or in Christianity, that God will take what was evil and turn it to good. And this is exactly true in this case. Zechariah, because of his lack of faith, is being punished. He's become mute. But as we are told, the reason why people believed that he had an encounter with an angel was what? Because of his muteness. Which is to be fair, like if I came out of that space and I was old in age and I wanted to some friends, I'm like, you're never gonna believe me. What just happened? An angel stood before me and he told me I was gonna have a son. Um, I'm pretty sure that friend's like, oh, he's gone a little senile. Um, I think we should help him see a doctor, right? We would all do that even today. Like we probably have some friends right now we're thinking about, maybe not, uh, (laughs) of, hey, like they're saying some crazy stuff. Why would I believe that? But it was because of this people believed. And what I would encourage you in this is that oftentimes we have to be mindful that what might seem like a hardship actually could be God's blessing upon us and helping prove that he is working in the lives of our hearts and the lives of the people around us. And what we have to be willing to do is pray that God would give us the perspective in the struggle because it is a struggle. I don't wanna denounce that. It is a struggle. If you spent your whole life talking and you can't, as a pastor who talks all the time, that would be like a small version of hell for me. I love that. And it would be a new adapting, a new season to figure out. But God used it to bring, to recognize and help his story and this story to come true. And so he, it says that he continues on that eventually his wife does become pregnant. And then there's this unique pause. At the end of verse 25, it starts to tell the story of Jesus and how the angel of the Lord appears to Mary. And if um, you were here last week, you got to hear that beautiful story. And if you didn't, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. My, Pastor Michael did a fantastic job in, in declaring the truths of fear. And, and I don't think this is unintentional. Like the reason for this is because these two stories are very overlapping. Like John and Jesus, were, his ministries were to go hand in hand. John, as we are told, is to bring... Um, clarity to who Jesus is and to help prepare the way of Jesus. And so Luke writes it that way. He came first with this desire to prepare. And so we pick up the story again, all the way in the verse 57. It says that the time came for Elizabeth to have this child. 
And so she has the child. And in this day and age, they got to do like this kind of like ceremony that was eight days long. And you got to name your child after the eighth day. Um, in our culture, we get two days to get out of the hospital and we get the boot, right? <laughs> like this day, it was a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, that in our day and age, this is a lot harder. They're like, oh, sucks to suck on you. <laughs> Um, but here it's like they surround you with people, they love on you, and they help make this a, a pro, an experience. And so it comes to the, the day to name the child, and they go up to Elizabeth and ask, what's the child's name going to be? And she says, John. And they all look at her confused because in this culture, you wouldn't name someone outside of your family line. So that name had to be someone already in your family history. And John wasn't one of those. And so they end up going to Zechariah. And they ask him what it was. And we are told that in 63, and as he asked for them, a written tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, then verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened. And he spoke blessings to God. So the first thing that he did when his tongue was open and his mouth was able to speak was to give the song that we read. So with that, let's look at this song. In verse 68, it says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate the very first thing that this man does after being quiet for some lengthy amount of time was to bring praise and declare worship to God. The term a horn of salvation is literally the trumpet that the war is over. Let's, let's bring praise, let's declare worship because God has here. And what you and I need to learn is this, is that answered prayers should bring praise should bring praise. Now, I think for many people um, who grew up in a faith story, we go, yeah, of course. That's, that's what should happen. That's kind of what I do. But here's what I know true about the human heart. It's not what we normally want to do. I can vividly remember when I was a little kid um, being at a birthday party. And this is that weird season of life when you go to someone's birthday, they give you a gift for showing up. Like, hey, thanks, we, here you go. Like, still don't understand why we do that. I remember being at this, this party as an elementary kid. And as we were leaving, the family gave me a yo-yo. I remember looking at this yo-yo and saying, is that it? As a little kid, I knew in my soul, because it's something that's been burned into my mind, how wrong that statement was. But it still came out of me. You know, as I got older, uh, I had a friend who was in a major car accident the day before his, his birthday. And that next day, we were supposed to like go on these like really cool skateboarding things and do all this really fun activities. And it was canceled. I remember saying, why? Like, we were going to have fun. He's fine. I was more concerned about myself than I was about my friend's life. And, and the reality of, of it is this, that for us, we are always gonna be a byproduct of what we soak ourselves in. You know, so, so many of us have probably been talked about how like, you know, when life gets hard, when we're squeezed, what's in us will come out. But here's what's really true. We will always drip what's in us. 
we will always drip what's in us. And what's in us is eventually gonna come out. And so if we are not learning to abide in Jesus, which means to remain and be steadfast in the good times and in the hard times, we probably aren't going to choose to praise him. We will just go back to the habits in which we already have. Um, there's a, this story in the gospels that, that where the Jesus is walking down this road and there are these 10 men who have leprosy and they're crying out to him for healing and for his mercy. And Jesus looks at these 10 men from a distance and, and says, go and reveal yourself to the um, priests. Now, leprosy was a, it was called the painless disease, but honestly, it was a gruesome disease. The reason it's called the painless disease is because it attacks your nerve endings. So you don't feel pain. Many of us don't think that pain is a blessing, but pain tells us to go take care of ourselves or to stop when we're doing too much. These people can't feel anything. So if they cut themselves, they could literally bleed out. They didn't feel it. They didn't know to gauze it, protect it, do those things. Or if they notice it, they wouldn't take proper care of it. And so it starts to pus and decay and cause them to literally rot out where they would start to lose ligaments and things. So it's a very gruesome disease. Not only that, but they also, because of the sickness, had to be outside of the community. So it was killing them physically and emotionally because they get to be around family and friends and loved ones. They were trying to survive on their own. And so it says that Jesus sees them and it says, go reveal yourself and go on this journey. And it says, as they started to walk, they became healed. God did a miracle, this beautiful thing. But it, only, it says only one then comes back to give praise. And when that one man comes back to Jesus, he looks at him and says, were there not 10 of you? Where are the other nine? See, in our lives, we would assume that 10 people were sick, they were sad. 10 people are healed, they're gonna give praise. But the reality is only one did. Because the other nine went back to what they were probably already doing, excited. Oh my gosh, I got this blessing. I'm gonna go sigh out of my families, all this. And they didn't stop to give praise to the one who restored them. And so the question becomes is, as you go about your life, are you soaking yourselves and abiding in the truth so that you will leak out praise when your prayers are being answered or are you going to leak out your selfishness? Leak out the, the things that society is telling you, the news sources that are telling you how to act and respond because you will always leak what you're soaking yourself in. And so the, it continues and says this in 72, show, uh, to show the mercy promised to our father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. So the second thing we need to understand is this, that answered prayers are a revelation of God's mercy. It reveals God's mercy. We were told earlier that he was blameless and righteous before the Lord. And he easily could have said, finally, God, you're responding to my good acts. 
You're finally doing what I've been crying because I've been faithfully serving you over and over and over again. But he doesn't. And rather he says, no, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Because it was undeserved to me. You know, C.S. Lewis, a famous author and writer, um, wrote a fictional story uh, about these two demons. It's called Screwtape Letters. And ultimately, it's a two st- about these two demons talking about how to pr- make, prevent humans from going, going over to what they deemed the enemy, Jesus. And in one of the letters, Screwtape is responding to his nephew because his person had experienced Jesus and have gone to the enemy's side. And he's kind of like condemning him for allowing that to happen. But then he says this. He says, but there is not, we are not without, Without, not without hope yet. Because if you can get him to believe that he deserved this because of his good deeds, he will still be in our camp pretending to be in his. And here's the truth. Many of us walk in that. We think that because we're faithful to go to church or maybe spend a little bit of time in prayer that we deserve God's grace and his mercy but mercy is an extension of God's gift to us, not because of something we earned. Jesus didn't die on the cross because his people were going to him and say, man, we have sinned we've conf- and confess. And God go, okay, finally, I'll go die for you. Now, what Jesus did was, I'm going to die for you because you need that. And I'm gonna ex- extend my love to you, even though you do not deserve it. And the reason why we repent is not because we recognize our sin, but because we recognize God's mercy. We say, hey, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And I recognize why I need a savior. But that's hard for all of us. Because even though we know in our head and our hearts, we don't always believe that. Netflix, uh, this last October, came out with um, a series called Jeffrey Dahmer. I didn't watch it. I've never been a part of that but it caused a lot of conversation because of who he was, very evil man, who did a lot of evil things. But the last episode is what kind of causes the conversations because it was titled The God of Mercy and The God of Justice. And it reveals that at the end of Dahmer's life, when he was in prison, there was a priest who was consistently coming to him and sharing the truths of the gospel that Jesus died for you despite anything you've ever done. And at one point, Dahmer says, could Jesus forgive even someone like me? And the priest automatically says, yes. But the conversation that I kept stirring around those who believe were like, of course he will say yes, if Jeffrey Dahmer repents of his evil, then God will extend mercy. Dude, that's not mercy, that's a transaction. What you are saying or what we are saying when that is like, because of my good works, because I've recognized my sin that God would forgive. That's not what Jesus has done. None of the Israelites understood this, that, oh, like I need a savior. Like, oh, if we'd follow the laws, like they, Jesus died because we needed him to do so, even though we didn't ask him to do it. Mercy is an extension of an undeserved gift. He's giving you something that you don't deserve. And we have to recognize that every single prayer 
that's being answered is not because of our good works, but because of God's mercy, because of his kindness and his love towards us. And that ultimately leaves us to the the last one, which is this, that um, answered prayers point to Jesus. Look what it says in 76, it says, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Remember this culture that being childless meant that you had done some grievous thing and it easily could have turned for Zachariah to look at his son and declare, you are my redeemer because those rumors are going away. My life is, is, is completely changed because you have shown up and he could have easily allowed this blessing to be just a byproduct of himself and make him highlight himself. But what does he do instead? He says, no, child, this isn't because of my good works or, or it's all because of an extension of God's mercy because you are declared the truths of God. And here's the reality for so many of us today, that we allow the good things of life to distract us from the God things of life. In John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses, it says, the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the abundance. This verse tells us that one of the enemy's roles is to take away the abundant life God has for us. And he's not gonna do that by presenting bad things to you. No, he's gonna present things that are good to distract you from the things that are of God. And so we have to recognize that if God, so so many of us today look at some of the situations of life, oh, that's totally a God thing. But I would ask you rather, is that a good thing or a God thing? And the way in which you know what it is, is, is it pointing to the glory of Jesus or is it causing more shadows in your life? Hey, you got a promotion, praise God. But that promotion now is causing you to stay up later, not being as present at home. You're constantly telling the people you love and adore, I can't make it tonight. Now I'm not saying you can't do that for a season, um, but if seasons turn into week, uh, if it goes from weeks to years, it's no longer a season, it's a lifestyle. And so what you might've said was a blessing from God was really just a good thing, distracting you from the ability to spend time in God's presence, distract you from being able to share the truths of the gospel and shed light to those who are your nearest and dearest to you. And so it wasn't a God thing, it was just a good thing but maybe you got the promotion that's allowing you to be more present at home. And not only now you're able to not just simply be able to love the people closest to you well, but you're also now be able to extend that mercy to the people you're over. That's a God thing. And so we have to recognize that when we are presented with something that it takes prayer to understand whether it's of God or it's just simply a good thing tempting us. because our prayers should always be highlighting the truths of Jesus. And that's what he said is that, son, you are here to, give, to help continue to spread the truth that God has come 
to bring light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death because who Jesus is and that's what he's done. Charles Spurgeon, a famous pastor, and one of the most influential actually of, of, of human history um, would often be asked this question. What's some advice you would like to give? Can you give me? Like, what should I do? And he'd always give the exact same answer. God has a special place in his heart for those who are willing to do the unglamorous work of consistent prayer. What he is declaring here is that when we learn to abide in Jesus, what drips out of us will be Jesus. Too often we just assume that, oh, like I'll just add a little bit and that's gonna change the water. But it doesn't. See, learning to abide means I'm actually learning to move myself into this space and moving myself into here, allowing that space to pull out the darkness in me, to pull out the evil in me, to pull out the things that aren't supposed to be in there and allow me to start dripping the truths of Jesus instead of the truths of this world. So the question that I want to ask as we conclude is this, what are you abiding in? Are you soaking yourselves in the, in the truths of God's word, allowing him to pull the evil out of us? Because that's gonna take a lifetime to do. Are you choosing to rest more in your ways, your thoughts, your ideas of how life should be? Because we will always leak what we are soaked ourselves, soaking in. And this couple chose to abide in Jesus in the good times and in the hard times. And so I pray that we will too. Will you pray with me? Well, Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and just ask that you would help us learn to abide in you. Lord, that we would spend this time soaking in your truths and being faithful in the good and in the bad, that we would learn to rest in you, the Redeemer, and that we would allow your light to shine in the midst of it. And so Lord, I ask as, as we spend this season of Christmas, that we give praise, that we continue to worship you, whether it's going the ways we want or the ways that we don't that we recognize that every breath in our lungs and the blood in our veins are an extension of your mercy and that our lives would ultimately start to point others and ourselves to you. So God, we give you this with everything in us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.